The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Our scripture today is the book of Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. It is excellent to see you this morning. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm just uh, thankful for days like today and the way the Lord expresses his goodness through creation. I was just thinking this morning and was just overwhelmed with the thought of just how thankful I am to be a part of this Jesus family this morning Um, and the way that by the Holy Spirit he has unified a body of diverse believers And I hope you are thankful for that as well. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that it's not because uh, your pastors are so phenomenal um, as much as we would like to think. It's not because we have phenomenal structures or systems in place, but that when you're a part of a body of believers that is truly unified in its diversity, it is as a result of the bonding together because of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of believers. That's Ephesians chapter 4. I'm just very, very thankful for that. Um, You might know not all churches get to experience that, unfortunately, because the enemy um, is the causer of division. But I'm just very, very thankful for that and just wanted to encourage you with that, that I'm proud and glad to be a part of this Jesus family. What we're going to do is, yeah, there you go, one whistle. One person is happy about that, so that's good. So here we are, we're wrapping up our last sermon in our sermon series, Everyday Disciples. Sermon titled this morning is, I am a witness. This is the last gospel-shaped identity we're going to look at. I am a witness. Main idea this morning is that a witness is someone who, what? Who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ with their words in everyday life. So we're specifically now getting to the place where we're going to talk about that intentional confession of Jesus with our words as we go about in everyday life as everyday disciples. And we're going to say some things about here in a moment after we pray about how intentional confession can also come from our other four identities but we're specifically going to stitch together this idea of how this identity of being a witness, this intentional confession with our words is the balancer that helps us strike the balance of wholehearted, whole life, everyday, thriving discipleship where intentional confession is just what we do because of who we are in Christ, okay? So a witness is someone who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ with their words in everyday life. 
Let's pray. If you remember my exhortation from last week, um, it's the language that I just borrow from um, Pastor Tom. Uh, this is a chance not to just check out, but this is a chance to pray for one another, that the Holy Spirit would pierce our hearts, open our minds as we turn to the living Word of God. So let's pray along those lines together. Father, you have saved us and made us witnesses, called to testify, confess Jesus with our words in everyday life. In order to see this clearly from the scriptures, uh, that power does not rest in me. I am not eloquent enough. I am not wise enough. I don't have the power to make that happen. We are utterly and absolutely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see Jesus, to open our ears to hear clearly the words that will be spoken, to open our mind to understand the scriptures as we need to understand them. And Holy Spirit, we need you then to fuel us as we walk out these doors and engage as intentional witnesses for the next six days and 22 hours until we meet again next week. We need you to empower us to walk in obedience to what we know. So in this sense, set me aside, Spirit. Speak through me so that your words from the scriptures would be heard clearly. It is in the name of King Jesus, the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, may you receive the glory and honor you are worthy to receive. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Just think about this phrase we've been repeating over and over again as it relates to this concept of surviving and thriving as an everyday disciple. What we've been saying now for several weeks is that it is possible to thrive as an everyday disciple who intentionally confesses Jesus in everyday life. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit abiding in Christ for the glory of God when the year of drought comes, when the 2020s land in our lap, it is possible to not be the desert shrub. It is possible to be the thriving green fruit-bearing tree whose heart, whose roots of their life is anchored into the living waters of Christ Jesus himself. It is just possible. The scriptures are replete with this truth. The keystone of this phrase, it is possible to thrive as everyday disciples who intentionally confess Jesus in everyday life. The keystone of that phrase is the intentional confession that we are called to. Because of who we are in Christ, everyday disciples have this new calling to intentionally confess the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. As disciples, no area of our lives is out of bounds when it comes to confessing him. We're not just intentional confessors for two hours on a Sunday morning. We're intentional confessors for the two hours on a Sunday morning, and we are called to be intentional confessors for those other six days and 22 hours beyond our gathering. 
Our gathering and our scattering is to be marked by Jesus on our lips, Jesus in our actions, confessing him wherever we go. So just think about how our confession of Jesus can operate with intentionality through the lens of the gospel-shaped identities that we've been studying so far. Right, So as worshipers, that was the first one we talked about. As worshipers, we can intentionally confess Jesus when the gathering and scattering of our lives reverberates with that gospel liturgy we talked about. God, man, Christ response, call to worship, confession, assurance, prayer, benediction. We said that as family, the second identity, we can intentionally confess Jesus when we anchor ourselves and commit to a local Jesus family in light of the adoption that we now have in Christ into the household of God. Anchoring yourselves in a committed relationship to a local church is a way to confess Jesus with your actions. As servants, the third identity we talked about, we can intentionally confess Jesus when we serve one another like we've been served in Christ. When you go into your workplace and you begin to go and operate from the words of Christ who said it is more blessed to give than to receive and I'm not giving with the intention of getting back, you will stand out as different in your workplace. You're intentionally confessing Jesus as a servant in that moment. And then as followers, last week's identity, we said that we can confess Jesus with intentionality when we abide in him by giving ourselves to the word in prayer to the Savior who saved us and then walking in obedience to him. When you walk in obedience to the Christ in whom you abide in the world today, I'm telling you, your life will confess, I am not the same person I used to be. I am different. Jesus has saved me. You see, what we can learn from these identities is that the everyday life of an everyday disciple is ripe with opportunity for intentional confession. It's just everywhere. Our heart of worship, our spiritual family heritage, our acts of service, our Christ-abiding, obedient followership, All these are legitimate forms of intentionally confessing Jesus, and we need to be careful to not delegitimize them. But we also have one last gospel-shaped identity that cannot be ignored, and it's this identity of being a witness. Remember, a witness is someone who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ with their words in everyday life. And it's this witness identity that helps us strike the balance of being healthy, rounded, wholehearted, everyday disciples who are thriving in the world around us. You see, there are those who find it easy to intentionally confess Jesus with their words, but they need to know that they can diminish the effectiveness of their confession by neglecting their other identities. Maybe you've seen this before. You're in the workplace and you're around someone who's constantly got Jesus on their lips. They're constantly calling you to consider the things of Christ. But what you know is that they are not a servant of all. They are a self-servant. They basically order their whole life around themselves. 
What you see is that their worship is easily consumed with the things of the world and not with the things of Christ. And so no matter how much they intentionally confess Jesus with their words, living out their witness identity, their other identities come along and diminish and make somewhat ineffective the identity of confession with their words. So there's this balance back and forth that is out of whack there. But what you also need to know is that there are some of us here this morning who find it way easier to intentionally confess Jesus with their actions. They love to go around and worship, living out their worship identity. They've got no problem with anchoring themselves to the Jesus family. They love to be the silent servants who are, recognize that it is more blessed to give than to receive. They will give themselves to abiding in Christ, obeying him and following him as a follower, but yet they draw the line at actually coming to the place where you have to look at your neighbor in the face, open mouth, and speak Christ. They need to know that there comes a time when an everyday disciple must, 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 must speak the gospel of Jesus Christ with words. You see, gospel declaration with words is an absolute must. It's sort of like that old phrase, I can't really remember right now, it's just, it just popped in my head, but like it's, it used to go something like this, I'm going to butcher it a little bit. Or the phrase is something like this, speak the gospel with your actions and if necessary, use words, right? That'd be like saying, hey, Tom, after church today, can you give me a call and if necessary, use your phone? Or give me a call today on your phone and if necessary, dial up my number. It's like, no, it is necessary for you to dial up the number if you're going to give me a call. There comes a time when the absolute necessity of opening our mouths in order to articulate God is holy, man is sinful, Christ is Savior, how have you responded to this? Have you been born again? Are you a true believer? Have you been saved truly? We'll just have to do this. We'll just have to do this. And Paul knows this absolute necessity to do this. That's what's going on in our section of verses in Colossians chapter 4. Paul knows the absolute mustness of gospel declaration. And so, writing from prison as a result of declaring the mystery of Christ, he says that in verse 3, notice how these closing remarks of his letter to the Colossians is absolutely saturated with the outright necessity of speaking the gospel. Thriving everyday disciples, he says, are witnesses who speak in at least two key ways. And the first point is this. Everyday disciples speak to God about people. Everyday disciples are called to speak to God first and foremost about people. That's verses 2 through 4. So look at just how he begins writing in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. So there it is, the speaking to God, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So notice that when it comes to prayer, Paul says the key idea here is diligence. It's that steadfast continuation. To continue steadfastly in prayer is to persevere in prayer, and to persevere in prayer is to devote yourself to the task with a God-empowered tenacity. 
Paul also says, though, that prayer is to be watchful and it's also to be marked by thanksgiving. Prayer is to have this consistent alertness to it, this consistent diligence, this consistent, continual steadfastness that is watchful, continually pursuing it, but also an alertness in prayer that is to be brimming, full of gratitude for what God has done and for what God is able to do because he is the one who is sovereign over all things. So Paul says, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is how we are to pray. How are we to pray? Steadfastly. How? Continually. How? Watchfully. How? With thanksgiving. But notice that Paul then smoothly transitions right over into what disciples are to pray. How? Steadfast, continual, watchful thanksgiving. And then what should we pray? And that's where verse 3 comes in. And he says, here's what we are to pray. We are to pray for God-given opportunity. So now he's transitioning into this idea. He's further teasing out this idea of what it means to be everyday disciples who are leaning into Christ in their witnessing identity. They are to be people who speak. And he's saying, guys, we must speak to God continually. We must speak to him steadfastly. We must speak to him watchfully. We must speak to him with thanksgiving. And now here, let me show you, let me guide you into what you can speak to him as you lean into prayer through the lens of your witnessing identity. You can pray for God-given opportunity. This is what you can pray for as an everyday disciple who's a witness. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us, he says, that God may open to us a door for the word to, here's the speech language, declare the mystery of Christ. You see, a key component to speaking the gospel is the necessary prayer that first speaks to God. Evidently, the door of opportunity to do this is closed in Paul's situation. But instead of barging forward in self-dependence, leaning upon his own skill, leaning upon his eloquence, leaning upon his theological knowledge, Paul calls upon the intercessory support of the believers in Colossae to pray for him to have God-given opportunity to speak to others about the gospel. Now, Paul believes that God is sovereign over all circumstances. You get that as you read his letters. But Paul also knows that in God's economy, God delights to make a way for the mystery of Christ to be declared by using the continual prayer of everyday disciples as a means to fulfill only what he can do. Friends, when you think about this reality, it's absolutely stunning. Because the challenge lands on our doorstep like this. For some of us who have the outright specific call to declare the ministry, mystery of Christ, someone like myself, Paul is saying that the power of the proclamation of declaring the mystery of Christ, somehow in God's economy, the effectiveness of it going forward actually lands at your feet in you praying for someone like me. The principle also applies for one another. This is why at community groups we ask you, is there someone in your life that you're seeking to share Jesus with? 
Do you have God-given opportunities being opened up? If you don't see them, let's pray for them so that God would sovereignly orchestrate and move and work in that person's life so that it will become very plain when he presents a door of opportunity for you to be able to walk through in order to bear witness to Jesus by confessing him with your words to this person. The mystery of Christ, Paul says, this mystery which is the revelation that has now been made known, the revelation of what God has accomplished through his son for the forgiveness of sins, it is, it is no longer hidden. It is full as the noonday sun, plain as the noonday sun. We do not have to guess anymore what God's plan for redemption is. It is absolutely evident in Christ. And Paul says, I want to declare that to people. Brothers and sisters, I need, 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 absolutely need you to pray for me that God would come and blast open doors of opportunity for me to speak, me to confess, me to declare, me to proclaim. And the idea is that you and I are to do the same for one another as a body of believers. Continually, steadfastly, watchfully, thankfully, praying, God, would you grant immense doors of opportunity for all of us so that as we walk out these doors and live as gospel pilgrims for the next six days and 22 hours, we might see God-given opportunity to intentionally confess the mystery of your son to those you are going to cross our paths with. Therefore, Paul says, ask God, pray. Pray for God-given opportunity. Pray to the one who is sovereign over all circumstances. Pray for him to open doors of opportunity for this word to be spoken. This is the first item of prayer, but notice he gives a second what we can pray for. And the second one is this, pray for gospel clarity. How many of us have been in a situation where God granted an open door of opportunity, you stepped into it and you're just like, like, right, just stumbling all over yourself. You're all over the place. You're trying to say things clearly. It was coming out about as clear as mud. And there you were, stumbling over your words, fumbling over your words. This, in part, is why we just did the six-week study at the CG level talking about God, man, Christ response over and over and over and over and over and over again to try to help us exercise the clarity muscle so that when the door of opportunity comes, we're not fumbling and stumbling over ourselves, but we can step in and make the mystery of Christ clear, Paul says, which is how I ought to speak. Which is how I ought to speak. Notice how there is an oughtness to clear gospel speech. It is something we ought to do. Speaking the gospel is no time for vague concepts. It's no time for ambiguous language. It's no time for beating around the bush so we can sort of soft pedal the hard truths of the gospel. You see, hearts and minds need to be engaged by the clearly spoken truths of Christ. Therefore, this reality leads Paul to say, well, let's not just sort of buck up and just get some skills on our belt and just try to get real good at doing this. He says, no, 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 pray for this. 
Make it the consistent rhythm of your liturgical day as you get up, call to worship, confession, assurance, as your feet swing over the bed in the morning and you say, okay, Lord, we're going to start off the day with a call to worship to you. You are the king of the ages, Lord Jesus. You are the immortal one. You are the invisible one. You are the only God. And to you today, I want glory and honor to be to you forever. Will you help me to see gospel opportunities and then to clearly speak the gospel in those moments, not empowered by my own strength, but empowered by your strength, O God, amen. I'm telling you, when you begin your days praying like that, Allah, the witnessing identity we see in Colossians chapter four, you need to buckle up your seatbelts because King Jesus is gonna start answering those questions or start answering those, those prayer requests. This reality prays Paul to pray, leads Paul to pray for clarity of speech. And I think the reason why he does this is because when God gives us open doors of opportunity to speak the gospel, the temptation in moments like those is to blunt the gospel's edge with unclear speech. Have any of us been here in this situation, open door of opportunity, granted, there you are standing with someone and you know this, you need to talk to this person about the holiness of God. You need to talk to this person about the sinfulness of man, them being the sinful man. You need to talk to them about how unless they repent and believe on Christ alone for eternal life, they will fall into the hands of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell if they do not respond to this good news. You know this is the conversation you need to have. You are astute enough to know they will revolt at that message. And so instead of clear, simple, straightforward, unambiguous gospel speech, what you begin to do is blunt the edge of the gospel by soft-pedaling it. And it becomes unclear in those moments. Paul says this is not how we ought to speak. But rather, we must pray asking God to open our mouths with clarity so that when we speak about Jesus, we would have the right words at the right time, clear and as sharp as a razor, not so we can slash people with the gospel, but so that spirit-empowered words out of our mouth would take the gospel's edge and rightly divide hearts, laying them open, exposing them to their need for Jesus. So a thriving everyday disciple is a witness who speaks. We must first go vertical, speaking to God about people. And then once we've done that, we then go horizontal, speaking to people about God. Far too often when someone comes up like me and says, hey guys, we're to be a witness, we're to have Christ intentionally confessed all around us through our words. Now go out and do it, go out and do it. Go out and speak to people about God. Go out and speak the gospel to people. What we do is we often neglect that necessary first step. Hold, hold up, pump the brakes, go vertical, speak to God about people. God, I need an open door of opportunity for my neighbor. God, I need you to give me some gospel doorknobs that I can, I can jiggle and see if this will swing the opportunity open in the life of my coworker. I need you to grant me the ability to speak clear in this moment. Amen. And then now Paul says, go forward and let's do this thing. Now that you've spoken to God about people, let's go forward and speak to people about God. 
My argument is that's what we see Paul roll into as we roll into verses 5 and 6. The second point is that everyday disciples now go and speak to people about God. Just look at what he says there. Walk in wisdom, verse 5, towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your, here it is, speech always be gracious. We have to speak, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to, here it is again, answer, that's speech, each person when those opportunities come. Thriving as a gospel witness in everyday life isn't just praying for God-given opportunity. It is at least that, but it's not only that. It's also learning to then seize those opportunities when they come. Any of us ever had a gospel God-given opportunity to land in our lap and then it just sort of slipped right through your fingers because you didn't seize it in that moment? Far too much of my life has been a hindsight Christian and not a foresight Christian. Hindsight's always 20-20. End of the day, head on the pillow and you look back and you sort of run through the Rolodex of actions and memories and conversations for the day and you're like, ah, that was it. I had the chance there. I could have asked that person this, could have stopped and talked to this person here. And then we live far too often in hindsight. I think Colossians 4 is challenging us to be foresight Christians. Feet swing over the bed. In the morning, you enter that call of worship. God, grant me opportunities given by you. God, assist me by your power to speak clearly. God, when the opportunity comes, empower me to seize opportunity and roll into that situation prepared and ready to speak clearly. Foresight versus hindsight. We're to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. God, I'm going to have interactions with the lady who checks me out at Aldi's today. I'm going to have an interaction with my neighbor today because it's Friday and he always asks to borrow my lawnmower on Friday. God, I'm going to the dentist today. God, I'm going to the park today. God, I'm picking up my child from the babysitter today. God, I'm going to speak to my roommate today. Help me to walk in wisdom towards this person who does not know you. They are an outsider. This isn't a derogatory term. It's just the Bible way of talking about those who are simply not in Christ. They're outside of the household of God. They're not in the household of God. It's the difference between outside of Christ and inside of Christ. Paul's point here, though, is this, that we are to exercise wisdom when we speak to others about God. Wisdom requires that we be discerning as to when we speak and to whom we speak. But when the time comes to speak the gospel, our speech gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we might know how to answer each person in that scenario. We are to strike that delicate balance between true gospel content and genuine care for that person. Neither weaponizing our words at the expense of genuine care some of us are like, well, when you speak some truth, sign me up because you want to take words and weaponize them. No problem for you at all speaking a hard truth. But when you look back in the wake of your life, there's just people hacked to bits by your truth speaking because you wield it like a weapon. When I was in the military, I had a, I had a buddy who would often uh, speak in this way. He would just say whatever he wanted to say. He was a word weaponizer, but then somehow he always would try to soften the blow and like make it okay by just following it up with the words, well, I'm just saying. So he'd come in and be like, John, well, you're just really acting like a fool today. Well, I'm just saying. Or John, that haircut looks really stupid on you. Well, I'm just saying. And it's like, dude, I don't think that just, I don't think you can, that's how that operates. You know what I mean? Like it's the, the, the Southern United States version is the bless your heart. 
You know, well, she's just one hopeless basket of pure and absolute ineptitude, bless her heart. It's like, I'm pretty sure you just passively, aggressively, like, belittled her, right? Or it's the idea of coming in with the no offense, but, no offense, Charles, but that hat looks really dumb. And it's like, okay, if your opening gambit is no offense, like, you need to bite your words because you're about to deliver an offense. And you know it because you're actually even leading with it. No offense, Tom, but it's like the conversation we have in our houses is if you are there, you need to stop after the but, all right? Because you know the words that are about to come out of your mouth are going to be weaponized. We do not want to weaponize the gospel words at the expense of genuine care, but we don't want to overcorrect. We don't also want to overstress care at the expense of never speaking the gospel. My hunch is that for the bulk of us, we do not fall into the camp too much of weaponizing the gospel at the expense of care. My hunch is that the bulk of us stress genuine care so much that we never come to the place of having that hard conversation. We know that there is a pain line. One of the best books I know about this, friends, is a tiny little book. It can't be 100 pages called Honest Evangelism by Rico Tice. And I encourage you, we've studied it before. We've handed it out. I think we've done men's studies on it and women's studies on it. And one of his great little turns of phrase is this. Every conversation, every relationship, when it comes to being witness, has a pain line. A pain line that we will eventually, at some point in time, have to cross. But because we are fearful of possibly finding hostility on the other side of that pain line, we never cross the pain line. We never have the hard conversation. We love to care for them. We love to serve them. We love to pray for them. We love to be their friend. We love to be their co-worker. We love to be their neighbor. But we just never pray for those opportunities to seize in that moment where we have to have that very honest, simple, clear conversation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Tice says, how will you ever know if you're going to find hunger on the other side of that line if you're not willing to risk the hostility? You gotta be willing to risk the hostility on the other side of that pain line to know if God is at work in their life drawing them to hunger for the bread of life, to hunger for the eternal life found in him who is the water of life. Now, God can mature us in these things, saints, and as he does so, we will find ourselves making the best use of the time. Empowered by God, we will become foresight Christians instead of hindsight Christians, and instead of wasting opportunities or squandering the chance to walk boldly through an open door, we will find ourselves seizing those God-given opportunities to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with our words as they present themselves in everyday life. Now, some of us do better at this than others, and uh, that is why it's a good thing to be part of the family of God, so that we can learn from others as God empowers us to do this. If you find yourself in this situation where you're like, how, how exactly do I, I, I go about doing this? I did not ask them permission to do this. I think this is a, a place where it's going to be easier to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission, but at least three families that I know who do this very well are the Lovins family, the Kleinschmidt family, and the DeMar family. Very good at just sort of living life with full-blown intentional confession in just sort of all aspects and areas. They neighbor well. They love well. They serve well. They also are willing to cross the pain line and have just point-blank gospel conversations with people. If you're like, what in the world could this practically, even practically look like? 
My encouragement is you need to go make a nice meal and invite one of those families over to your house, eat supper, laugh, enjoy one another, get to know them, and then pick their brain, okay? So, Lovins, Klein, Schmitz, and Demars, apologies if, uh, for not asking permission on the front end, okay? So, how can we wrap this up? Think about this. Remember, a witness is someone who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ with their words in everyday life. To be a thriving everyday disciple is to be a Jesus-confessing witness. And what is a witness? A witness is someone who simply testifies to what they have seen. You've just seen it. Surely. In one of the most famous trials of our day, currently being splashed all over the news, witnesses are constantly coming up. And what's going on? They're testifying to what they have seen. They're testifying to what they've seen. That's what a witness is. So for anyone saved by grace through faith in Christ, what they have seen themselves is, I used to be dead, but now I'm alive. I've seen this. I've witnessed this in my own life. I've seen darkness become light. I've seen blindness turn to sight, all because of Jesus' power to save. He saved me. This is why our witnessing is gospel-shaped. We've experienced God's mercy and forgiveness. We've tasted his power to save sinners. We've seen how extraordinary that power is. And in the words of the psalmist, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Therefore, we testify to what we've seen and tasted because that's what witnesses do. We are natural born witnesses who testify to what we've tasted and seen all the time. You didn't, no one had to beg you to talk about the New York strip you had from Outback Steakhouse last night after you saw it and tasted it and said, this is very good. More often than not, we have to say, dude, you need to stop talking about this now, right? We're not having to pull out of you the witnessing aspect. We naturally will witness and testify to that which we've seen and then tasted as being good. And for any one of us here this morning who have tasted and seen the goodness of salvation, the goodness of death to life, blindness to sight, darkness to light, is a witness. And being a witness for Jesus, a faithful, everyday, thriving disciple who is a witness just simply looks like this, going through your world saying, can I tell you about what's happened to me? Testifying to what you've seen. Shake out in your own life. So ask yourself this question, friends. How is my witness? How is my witness? We can find ourselves in one of three places, I think. As a witness, either I'm apathetic, I'm embarrassed, or I'm unashamed. As a witness, if you are apathetic, there's just no compassion for the lost whatsoever, and thus there's just no motivation to share the gospel. An apathetic witness truly just doesn't give a rip about the state of the souls of those around them. The plight of sin-dead sinners at best causes you to stifle a yawn, and at worst, the plight of sin-dead sinners just never flat out crosses your mind whatsoever. Now, this might be you this morning, and if so, Jesus is not only calling you to see how your apathy reveals an incredible disconnect with the good news you say you believe, but to also come and have your heart revived by his heart for those in need of eternal life. If you're here this morning and like God is already pinging you right now, 
as it relates to my gospel-shaped identity of a witness, I am apathetic towards those who are lost and dead and on the wide path to destruction that will result and end in an eternal hell separated from God. Like, I'm just apathetic. I just don't care. What you don't do is curl up and turn in on yourself. What you do is say, Jesus, I need you by your power to fan into flame my heart to align with your heart for the lost. Luke 19.10, Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus, I'm begging you, make my heart align with your heart for the lost. Maybe you're not apathetic this morning. Maybe you're embarrassed. When it comes to your witness, you're embarrassed. Your compassion for the lost is there, but it is overshadowed by your fear of rejection. You know the pain line, and you know where the pain line exists in all of your relationships, family, friends, coworkers, whatever it might be. You want sin-dead sinners to be saved, but you are crippled by fear of confessing Jesus because you know most likely on the other side of the pain line is going to be hostility, and you would rather be punched in the face repeatedly than have to cross that pain line and confess Jesus to that person because fear cripples you and keeps you from wanting to experience that hostility. People will know at work where you stand concerning Jesus as Savior and Lord if you proclaim the gospel, and that scares you to death, and so you're embarrassed to confess Jesus in those moments. Anyone ever been there before? Oh, just me? Oh, okay. Whew. I was like, man, we might need a new pastor on here, y'all. Man. I've been there before. I mean, we're all intelligent. We know enough to know. If I open my mouth and confess Jesus, I will be the Jesus guy amongst all these friends, and I don't want to be known as that, and so we button it up because we're embarrassed in that moment. Or maybe let me just put it this way. If this is you, if you are embarrassed like the person who is apathetic, I think to take Colossians 4, verse 2, you can pray. Ask Jesus to help you see how he's made you an ambassador of grace. Ask for the Holy Spirit to empower your intentional witness. Ask the Lord to give you uncompromising boldness because of what God has done in saving you. Ask him to move you from embarrassed to being unashamed. Have you just ever prayed along those lines before? God, I'm embarrassed to share Jesus with this neighbor. I need you to make me unashamed of standing with the Christ who saved me. You see, if you're unashamed, the gospel is broken through to give you compassion and boldness. A compassion for the lost that fuels the boldness saying, I am willing to cross that pain line because I, only God only knows what's on the other side of that pain line. It could be hostility, most likely will be, but it just might be there's like a John 4, woman at the well, person who is absolutely hungry and they just need someone to come and connect the dots telling them about God, man, Christ response. And so God, my compassion will lead me to boldly cross that line, willing to risk the hostility in order to discover if there is hunger and then that just becomes the normal ebb and flow of God empowered everyday life for you 
And when you do that, guess what? You stand with the Apostle Paul and the many others who've since counted the cost of proclaiming the gospel with clarity by saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Maybe this describes you this morning, unashamed. If so, don't pat your, break your arm patting yourself on the back. You're not there because you're phenomenal. You're there because God's goodness, grace, and mercy. Do what Paul says. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Pray with thanksgiving, God, you've brought me this far. I'm not here because of anything in me. I'm here because you've done so. Thank him for using you and your witness as you experience the joy of God working through you to continue to call people to himself. Friends, the aim of this sermon series has been born out of the heart of shepherding care for you. Twenty twenty scorched so many of us. It just did. Me and the elders had too many emails, too many texts, too many phone calls of just people absolutely thrown for a loop. And guys, I'm just telling you, 2020 is not an anomaly. It's just not an anomaly. Another 2020 is going to come. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where, but it will come. So the question that we sought to answer for you is to lay a groundwork and lay a foundation of when the next 2020 explodes in my face, what can it look like for me to glorify God, abide in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, to sink my heart's roots into the living waters so that when that year of scorching heat, when that season of crucible-like life lands on me again, I can bear fruit and thrive as an everyday disciple. We have sought to answer that question for you. This has really been born out of a heart of shepherding for you. I want as your pastor to see you thrive. And my hope is that God, by his word, has established this in that way, okay? So let's pray. Father, we come to you in humility, recognizing that if we are going to move along the trajectory from surviving just barely to thriving in the crucible of daily life, that we are utterly and absolutely dependent upon you. So God, come now. Shepherd us in these moments, Holy Spirit. Help us to answer the question of where am I as it relates to being a witness. And then may we cast our cares and our needs in utter dependence upon you, knowing that when we do so, you will grow us and challenge us and change us and mold us and conform us to the image of the Savior who saved us. God, do these things for your name and for your glory. Amen.